and welcome back to the latest Forster's More Than Law podcast. Today is the latest in our series of graduate recruitment-based podcasts, and we're going to be focusing on equality, diversity, and inclusion at Forster's. Really pleased to be joined by our senior partner, Smita Edwards. Hi, Smita. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And Emily Holdstock, who's our graduate recruitment partner. Hi, Mary. Hello. And also Emma Cooper, who's our graduate recruitment officer. Hi, Emma. Hi, everyone. Thanks all for joining me today. So I thought it would be good just to start off by a brief discussion about our backgrounds and why you have a sort of particular interest in the ED&I piece in our firm. So maybe I could start with you, Smita. It'd be really interesting to know sort of your role into the law and what your role as senior partner actually sort of means. Yeah, well, uh, I'm very old now being a senior partner, but that's uh, that's a different story. I, I think you'd probably be a bit surprised by my background. Um, I, I'm a real estate lawyer um, in commercial real estate, and um, I was a partner for many years, and I became senior partner about seven and a half years ago. Uh, so I'm a real estate lawyer, but my background was that when I studied law, I did a law degree, but I was very, very interested in social welfare law and matrimonial law. So I did my articles, as they were called then, in a small family law and criminal law practice in Sutton, in Surrey, because I was absolutely convinced that I was going to be a leading light in the world of criminal and matrimonial law. And I qualified after two years and realised that that was not for me. And that actually what I liked was doing a bit of real estate then I was just doing domestic conveyancing, but I, I actually wasn't cut out to be a family or a criminal lawyer. And actually what I preferred doing was dealing with real estate and actually dealing with professionals and um, in the commercial context. And so I, I moved then, I was offered jobs by, both by Fred Chumley, which is our predecessor firm, and by Herbert Smith. And uh, they gave me an opportunity to completely change. You know, I'd had no experience of commercial real estate. And I think that's why I feel so passionate about, first of all, never making an assumption when you're studying as to what you're going to enjoy doing. Never, never sort of assume you're going to be such and such a type of lawyer because you change. And two, being given a break. So in 1985, I was given a break and I joined Fred Chumley and I, I... developed as a commercial real estate lawyer, loved, loved doing the work, loved my practice. We founded Forsters and um, the rest is history really. And I'm now senior partner. And that really involves me in looking after, being the external face of the firm for clients across the firm and looking after partners and staff. So being the face of the firm for, for staff and also making sure the partners are okay and dealing with, with any sort of partner issues or helping partners. And thirdly, the, probably the most important um, part of the role is leading the strategy for the firm going forward uh, and leading the strategy board. So it's fun, but I'm still a lawyer. I still do legal work. <laughs> I think that's really interesting what you were saying about sort of changing your mind as you went through as to what you wanted to as to what you wanted to focus on. We were actually discussing that in a previous myth-busting podcast, weren't we, Emily, about whether you need to have a sort of very fixed idea as to what sort of law you want to focus on. 
yeah I think that's that's right and um I, I'm sure I said in that podcast I was similar to Smita I was convinced I was going to be a family lawyer uh, and actually had my head turned by construction when I did it as part of my training contract so yeah open-minded I think is key um, for anyone listening. So moving on to the diversity and inclusion piece, why do you think that it's particularly important to our firm? Smita, you're the partner sponsor of the Race Support Network. Yes, indeed. And, you know, one of, one of my jobs as, as a real estate lawyer has, to be, has been to bring people along. And one of the greatest joys is sort of seeing people within the business, whether they're lawyers or within support services, actually really developing and really finding finding their feet and actually having the opportunity to to progress and I think one of the real joys is seeing people from diverse backgrounds but also you know who who necessarily don't assume that they're going to lead one particular part of the business suddenly realize that you know wow they've got there are real opportunities and there are there are that we can actually help them um, develop into whatever they want to develop and it's not just as lawyers it's throughout the the firm in every every part of the firm really and having having a face that's not that's that fits the clients and our diverse client base is quite important you know I've never wanted to be in a business where everyone looks the same you know there are some law firms where you're expected to look the same talk the same and that, that's never been us we've always valued people having an individual approach and having a, a, a workforce that reflects the world out there. We've recently published our values as a firm, and that sort of is, I think, the commitment to diversity and inclusion is sort of borne out in some of those values, for example, being driven by what really matters and supporting every person to achieve. Emily, is there anything that you want to add to what Smeet has already said? I think I would just say, Mary, that uh, when people, I think people are nervous about talking about diversity and inclusion because they're worried about sort of saying the wrong thing. And I think actually it's something to be celebrated. And I, and I like to think at Forsters we do celebrate it. And I think it's incredibly important as well to acknowledge that it's much more than tokenism. And in order to have successful diversity and inclusion as a firm, it has to be an intrinsic part of our values and I think that's what's so special about us is when you look at the the values which which came out of the consultation exercise from you know people who work at the firm that diversity and inclusion is kind of woven through all of them as a sort of natural and organic part of who we are and I think that stands us in really good stead actually to um to you know continue to make inroads where we feel we need to and I think the other thing um, is that we can't make assumptions you know that, that we're doing so well so I'm I'm senior partner I'm a woman and I happen to be Asian um, and it would be very easy for me to assume that we're all doing very well and um, we're all tickety-boo but 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 you know there's always room to improve and you can never stand still and the reason that I became the sponsor for the race support network at Porkster's was actually to, to join the meetings and this is a sort of forum for um, anyone who's interested in race issues to join and listen and and actually my role there largely is to listen and to understand what the experience of people on the ground is because what I think uh, might be happening in the business may not be what people are experiencing or in the world outside and it's you know it really is incumbent on all of us to listen to the experiences of those 
in the world and in our business and to learn. And we can't assume that things are as we sort of think they are. And we can always, always learn to improve our communication so that, as Emily says, people aren't frightened to talk about issues to do with race, for instance. You know, people aren't frightened to, to talk about their, their worries in the business. And there's an open forum that, that enables us to, to sort of just talk openly about it and share uh, an understanding of how people view their roles and the, the impact they have in the workplace. So in terms of things that we do do well there are some real positives that I think we can take so for example our um, gender stats um, in terms of male female ratios within the partnership Emily did you want to just talk us through those yeah I think that's um, something that I'm really proud of and I know I've been very lucky as a sort of a junior partner that I've had some really amazing female role models in the partnership Um, I think our current statistics are that we are 43.5 percent female partners and I think overall as an organisation we're more than 60% female. Um, Smita's already mentioned she's obviously a female senior partner and we have a female managing partner as well and we have lots of women um, as heads of business support services like HR and we have lots of female partners who run our practice areas as well so that's something that I think we can be incredibly proud of. I did I totted up some numbers on that actually earlier on and about 60% of our heads, Emily, of our legal groups and of our support services are women. So It's amazing, know, isn't it? It's really amazing. And, and the interesting thing is we don't, we don't think about it, really. You know, women have always been very powerful within our business and, you know, and will continue to be. Um, and we need to make sure that that sort of, we get to that stage with every sort of area, whether it's social mobility or, or diversity, uh, you know, we need to be in, in a position where it, we're not surprised because it's just normal to have a very diverse group of people within the business. So what are some areas where you think that we as a firm need to recognise that we could sort of make improvements in terms of encouraging greater diversity? And we've talked about the sort of gender split, but are there other areas where you think we can kind of make more of a push? For me, the the two big areas I would say as as head of graduate recruitment are race and also social mobility. Um, I came from, as you can probably tell from my accent, I come from the northeast of England, comprehensive school and careers advice where I'm from was pretty much non-existent. None of my family are lawyers. I don't know any. My parents didn't know anyone who was a lawyer. And I was kind of left. I sort of thought law might be something I'd quite enjoy because I like uh, words and I like interpreting things. And I like being a bit argumentative with my parents. And um, I was sort of left to try and work out by myself whether I'd enjoy being a lawyer. And don't get me wrong, I'm incredibly privileged in the sense that I then went on to Cambridge University and I got a great amount of help from them about deciding kind of where I wanted to what kind of law I wanted to practice what kind of firm I wanted to be at but I think I have some understanding and I'm learning more and more as head of graduate recruitment how difficult it is for people who don't have that access into the profession to to make those connections and that's something that Emma and I are uh, looking at and Lizzie Hayway who's one of our um, CSR executives she is um, actively at the moment looking into social mobility initiatives with our um, social mobility network 
And the other area that I'm also passionate about is um, disability. And I, I think that conjures up a sort of a preconception about what a disability might be. And actually, I've done a lot of sort of reading and understanding because I'll be the partner sponsor of the Disability Network when that launches shortly. I actually can't hear very well at all. Um, I lost my hearing 10 years ago after an illness and it happened overnight. It was incredibly kind of disorienting at the time. And I've learned a lot, I think, about how um, you can be affected by not only kind of things that you, you naturally assume to be disabilities, but also long term health conditions and mental health and physical health conditions. Um, and I think that's something that we're already great as a, a firm at acknowledging each other's kind of individual circumstances. And we've had some great people really open about those things in uh, well-being newsletter and things. But I think as an organisation, what more we can do to attract disabled talent into, the, into Forsters is something that I'm um, keen to explore. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think, um, you know, as you say, disabilities come in many, many different shapes and forms, and it, some, some of which are not apparent. I think we need to just be really open to talking to people about the different types of uh, disability that they may have, and also be honest about, about what people think about the type of firm we are. I mean, one of the things that I, I worry about is that people think that we're being a Mayfair that we're a certain type of firm that goes after a certain type of employee or lawyer. I wonder whether that holds us back. You know, yes, we're in Mayfair, but actually when people come and see us and come and talk to us, they can see that we're, we're pretty normal people. You know, we all go to the pub and we all, we all talk about what a terrible day we've had going into the office on public transport, which was dreadful. And so I hope that people don't sort of uh, take the view that we're, so, because we, we do a certain type of work, you know, we act for businesses and we act for, for wealthy families, that we haven't got a broad spectrum of people within the business and are very normal people and open people to, in, in a friendly and um, fun environment, actually. It's, you know, it, it feels a bit cheesy to say it, but, you know, I, I talk about the Forster's family and it does feel, feel very much to me like the Forsters family. And that's, that's what we want to ensure carries through that feeling that people feel a sense of ownership in the business. I think that preconception point is a really important one because I know 20 odd years ago when I was looking for training contracts, I didn't even consider applying to Forsters because of the Mayfair location. I came from a comprehensive state school backgrounds and had preconceptions about what working in a Mayfair law firm would be like and who the people would be that I would be work that I would be working with if I were even lucky enough to you know get an interview and and so it immediately just was off my list and obviously you know the reality of the firm is completely different to that preconception that I had in my early 20s but yeah I think it's it is incumbent on us to make sure that people really understand what kind of firm we are and um, we've talked a bit about the easy and i strategy and the initiatives if i can just sort of take us back to that so the EDI committee was established a few years ago to drive the overarching strategy and um, we've now got a number of, sort of committees that sit um, underneath that emily can i just ask you to give a bit more information about how we've sort of implemented the strategy so far 
Yeah, of course. So um, the EDI committee itself is um, or has historically been there to um, organise events, um, both in-person and virtual events um, for International Women's Day, for Black History Month and that sort of thing. Um, and it's also there to uh, stress test and challenge and make recommendations for um, what the firm might do in future. But we found that there is, you know, such a kind of wealth of people across the firm who are keen to get involved that actually we wanted to to launch the um, seven networks that we have touched on today. So, for example, the disability network, the race support network, the social mobility network, just being real of them. And they are for anyone in the firm to come along to who has an interest in a particular topic. Uh, it's really there to help promote understanding um, as a forum for discussion, to help promote events in the firm um, and to and to drive new initiatives so a really great example of um, one of the groups is the rare support network which Smita is the partner sponsor for and some of the group decided that we ought to look at being a signatory to the hair law code which is um, aiming to end afro hair discrimination and that's something that was then referred up to the EDI committee and immediately, you know, we became a signatory of it because it's really important to everybody at the firm that people should feel comfortable to have their natural hair in the workplace. And it's something now that when you talk about it, you think, well, of course, um, but, you know, just by showing that public commitment, I think is hugely important. It was a real education, yeah. wasn't it, Emily, that people could just drop in on some of those um, race support network sessions and just learn about for instance things like the halo code learn about black history history month and um it's an educational forum it was really interesting likewise um you know emma and i as graduate recruitment officer and partner respectively are really keen to hear from our networks and we were invited along by the rest support network to talk to them about grad recruitment initiatives and what what we and they can do to encourage um, more racial diversity in our uh, trainees. And um, Emma, I don't know if you want to say a few words about, about that. I was just gonna say, I think that actually sitting here today, having this conversation is a little bit like attending one of those meetings in, in that it really kind of reminds you that diversity and inclusion is so broad. And every time you kind of mention another element of it, it just makes me think, oh, well, we could include something to do with that in our process that we're not doing already. It just talking about it helps to generate so many ideas. And I personally found that going to the race support network uh, meeting was so useful. It was the first one I'd been to um, since joining the firm. And it's there to teach people. And it's a really safe environment where people were talking quite openly and I think the fact that they maintain that even though it was over Zoom, it just really showed that the firm is a very comfortable and welcoming place because people were happy to kind of share their own personal stories um, with each other and with new people like me. So I think that those kind of um, committees can just make such a huge difference. I remember even I was doing an interview um, a couple of weeks ago and somebody mentioned to me, they'd been really excited to apply for the position and then when they saw that we'd signed up to the halo code it like shot us to the top of their list and that just made me think like you don't often question how much it actually means to people 
when you're demonstrating that you actually care and again it all kind of ties back to what you were saying about having like an authentic and genuine approach you can't really force these things it does have to happen by kind of listening learning and then progressing and I think that these networks are such an effective way of doing that because it not only provides kind of an opportunity for people that are directly affected um, and involved but it allows everyone to become um, part of the committee and work together and I think that they're such a great opportunity for new people and people that have been at the firm for a really long time. I mean, Emma, I think what you said there about it being a sort of safe forum is so important. Yeah. I think what, what sort of strikes new people is that, that actually these sessions are sessions in which you can really say what you think. And there's no fear of anyone holding you to account or saying what you're, you're thinking or worrying about is, is silly or in any way um, prejudicing you in any way. It's, um, it's just a really open forum for us to learn from each other and talk about our experiences and how we can make things better in the working environment. Yeah, I think also yeah, they really demonstrate that we are actually um, thinking about everything that we do and trying to always kind of improve ourselves and that is from an HR perspective incredibly important because we can attract people in by portraying us in a certain light but unless it is the real deal people are not going to stay so for retention and for especially when it comes to graduate recruitment thinking about bringing people in and actually making them the future of the business for that to be yeah. effective you need them to stay and you need to develop them within the environment that will help them grow professionally but also personally so they want to stick around can I ask a question along those lines so yeah. sort of uh, along the lines of things that we are doing specifically as part of the graduate recruitment process because I think that's a really important point that you make Emma so what are some of the things that we're doing to try and ensure that we're promoting diversity within our graduate recruitment program yeah so I'll I'll start us off and then Emily if you think of anything I want to add just just tell me um, so one of the really um, kind of key things that we've been doing between September when we launched and now is our partnership with the Bright Network so something that we did in October was attend the Diverse Legal Leaders event where Emily spoke on a panel and it was a really fantastic opportunity for us to actually have networking time with individuals that had signed up to the Bright Network and their members are they're made up of 75% state educated, 40% ethnic minority and 43% first generation uni um, within their families. So kind of what you were saying earlier about people from a certain background or people that perceive themselves to be from a background which would stop them from getting into law that's kind of one of the main opportunities where we can access people directly and kind of help them to feel encouraged and want to apply for a firm like Forster's. Um, another one is our rare recruitment tool which is a contextual tool that we have within the application process and it just sort of allows us to consider um, people that might have some sort of rare flag as it's referred to which might be socioeconomic it might be academic 
it just adds a little bit more context and allows us to be a little bit more considerate on certain applications, which is really important. Then when it comes to like actual assessment centres and interviews, there's quite a few things that we do to make sure that we are being inclusive to everyone. So one thing is we have unconscious bias training and that is for everyone that's involved with um, assessment days and people that are going to be kind of directly accessing the candidates. Everyone that comes along is assessed by multiple different people throughout the day. So you won't kind of have one person prejudging you and then you get no further. It is an opportunity to get to meet several of the forces team. And hopefully then at the end of the day, when we have our wrap up, it allows everyone to give their feedback and make sure that we're being fair and judging people accurately. Another thing is we have blind interviews. When you have your first interview, the partners that are interviewing you haven't seen your CV. They don't know anything about you. And that's great because people feel that they can say whatever they like without having to worry they're repeating what they've already put in an application in the CV many times over. And it's a bit more natural for people to kind of just talk that way. But it also means that there's absolutely no prejudgment of the person that they're about to meet. And then with standardised questions, everyone is being asked the same. You are all being assessed against the same criteria. And that, again, provides an opportunity for everyone to be kind of on an equal playing field. You've, um, you've captured everything, Emma, there. I'd perhaps just add Cole Ball, who is our head of learning. She plays a really, really important function on our assessment centres in that she floats um, around, she uh, sits in on the group exercises which are assessed by partners and she is a sort of impartial observer so that she can challenge feedback and, and she does um, rightly so very willingly at the, at the wrap up sessions and we make sure that we are being as consistent and as fair in scoring as possible both within individual assessment centres and across um, when we're running a number of assessment centres we're fair across the board um, and uh, Emma just constantly you know constantly keeping ourselves in check for what else that we think we may need to do. Because it's the first round Emily and I are doing together we're kind of at a bit of a starting point and we're looking for ways that we can always improve so we've had an open day recently we'll have another one coming up we'll have assessment centres if you attend anything and um, are given the opportunity to provide feedback please do and let us know genuinely if you thought there was something that we could do better because I think that is probably the best way that we can learn and hopefully improve and be better for people in the future. I think I think visibility I, I really think people realizing that we're human beings that we're not this sort of you know posh Mayfair firm where you have to talk or dress in a certain way <laughs> you know, that people realising that we're quite normal people. And I, I, I really love it when you have the open days and people pop in and you can just, you know, you can just pop in and have a quick drink and say hello to people and find out what, you know, where they come from, what they've been up to, you know, wh whether they always wanted to be lawyers. And um, it's just really interesting. And it's lovely to see a room full of bright and eager faces and, and you know, people just coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and that's what we want you know we never want to be one-dimensional as a firm and I think the open days are a great forum for doing that and my big wish is that people shouldn't be in any way put off or make assumptions about us 
as a firm. And, you know, I really hope that by coming along to Open Day, listening to podcasts, you know, looking at our website, looking at our diversity material, they'll realise that we're, it's a really great place to work. And it's a place full of, of people who are really so, so bright and so um, brilliant at their jobs. And it's a great place if you, if you want to learn and if you want to develop and you want to find, find what you're really good at. Thank you, Samita. You've also done an excellent advert for all the other uh, materials we've been putting together. So we have got all our other Mythbusters podcasts, uh, which are in our graduate recruitment series. Um, there's also our website, forsters.co.uk, and all our social media feeds. So in particular, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're not on TikTok yet, but I really feel we need to be. So maybe that's one for, for this year. A few dancing partners. A dancing senior partner, perhaps. <laughs> I think um, I'll talk. I'll say no to that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining me today, and until next time, goodbye. Forster's Modern Law Podcast is for general information only and should not be considered to be professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on, or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The Modern Law Podcast and all copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it should not be used, reproduced, or quoted, whether in whole or part, without Forster's LLP's prior written consent.